Borbos are currently building London's next generation enterprise focused fiber network and looking for more amazing engineers to join them. Vorbus is building the next generation of fibre network to power one of the most important business hubs in the world. This is a responsibility that they take seriously. For most businesses, reliable broadband is as important as heat, electricity and water. Vorbus wants to completely change how businesses connect in London and beyond, and they're on the hunt for enthusiastic, committed people to join the team. If you're interested in being part of their team, then head over to hackerjob.co where you can be matched with them. Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the DevLab podcast brought to you by HackerJob. Uh, my name's Ellis and I'll be today's host. Today we've got a very special episode. We're currently recording live from the Vorbos offices in London and I'm currently joined by the Chief Information Officer, Aaron. How are you doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. So Aaron, I'll get straight into it with you. Tell us about your career so far, including how you ended up at Vorbos and what your current role entails. Yeah, sure. So I am a software engineer. I'm self-taught. I didn't go to university. I spent a lot of time in my bedroom as a teenager learning how to write code. I've done the classic content management system buildings for, for media agencies all the way through to kind of cloud transformations and digital transfer, transformations for some of the biggest banks and businesses in the world. Obviously, lots of different things to learn from the two sides of those coins. Uh, and everything in between as well. But um, ultimately, I see myself as an engineer at heart or a hacker at heart. I had to spend a lot of time learning how to teach that to people as well. And in regards to your, your current role at Vorbos, mm -hmm. can you talk to us about you know what the day-to-day -day sort of entails and sort of what you're working on? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm in the role of Chief Information Officer um, at Vorbos now. That entails uh, owning the software engineering strategy for the business. So. Traditionally, a chief information officer is kind of looking at more of the IT side of the business, whereas here, it's more focused on the building of our systems and tools. As a vertically integrated business, Volvos has a preference to build rather than buy in almost all cases, and that starts at our the building of our network rather than uh, use contractors and agencies to... Um, to build a fiber network. We have over 200 installation technicians that we train from scratch. They're wow. all in the field building our network. And that mentality carries over into our software engineering function. So we build almost all of our tools ourselves. It allows us to own the data for each of those systems. It allows us to have this kind of unified view of the business inside of both code and our databases. So I spend a lot of time kind of honing that strategy and making sure that we're able to deliver uh, solutions to the business as efficiently as possible. Brilliant, yeah. And I'm keen to know, uh, Aaron, I ask this on quite a lot of my, my podcasts, what's your earliest memory of tech or is there a pivotal point when you're like, you know what, I like coding? <laughs> As you've asked that, it kind of sprung to mind, which is uh, sitting in front of a laptop, like a really clunky old laptop when I was maybe five or six playing Commander Keen, which was an old platform game. And I remember feeling that I wanted to make my own version of it. Mm -hmm. And I opened up QBasic on Windows 3.1 and just tried my best. <laughs> I was not very good at it <laughs> at all. But that, yeah, I think that's, that's the first memory. Love that, love that. So as Chief Information Officer, Aaron, how do you enable and support your teams to do impactful and important work at Volvos? It's around providing space for the engineers to think about coming up with solutions whilst also having guardrails for them to not have to reinvent the wheel and not have to 
understand the kind of breadth of a, of a deeply, deeply technical landscape that they operate within. The fiber industry is one in which people spend their entire careers. Mm. It's a bit like if you go to a, like a med tech startup, you're not going to have your software engineers being doctors. You're going to be able to extract kind of knowledge from the doctors and from the medical professionals in order to solve their problems. I'm a big advocate for finding that balance, right? So, so providing just enough information to a software engineer and to their to the product management function and all the people around software engineering to kind of self-serve where it makes sense mm-hmm. and to kind of take the expertise and knowledge from those that have it where applicable. Now, the other part of that in terms of making space for the engineer is to reduce their cognitive load. So I want an engineer, an experienced engineer, to come into the business and not have to relearn tools. Like they've got a lot to learn already mm. in terms of the industry, in terms of what we're doing here. I don't want them to have to learn our intricate internal tools to deploy an application. So instead, I'm a big advocate for using standard CI/CD tooling. I'm a big advocate for like reducing their cognitive load in terms of they should already be able to bring a bunch of knowledge in from yeah. the tools they use in the last job. So just touching on the topic of cognitive load, mm-hmm. obviously reducing cognitive load is critical to having a high-performing engineering team. Yeah. How do you do this and what has been the outcome so far in regards to that reduction? So it's going really well. Part of it is, as I say, making sure that engineers can use tools that they've used in the past. And then the other thing is if you're using a 12-factor app methodology, i.e., you can build applications that are mostly stateless. They can live inside of containers. They take environment variables in. They dump their logs out the standard out and standard error. You don't have to kind of force too many practices on the team in terms of the technologies they're using. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of different languages, a bunch of different frameworks in use. And again, it just reduces that cognitive load for an experienced engineer to come in and just pick up where they left off in their last business within some guidelines, of course, and some guardrails. But they can mostly pick up from where they left off and whatever they, they were doing before and carry on here and start building tools and products here and find a group of other engineers inside of the business that were doing something similar. But we make sure that they can find their kind of tribe internally and immediately start providing value. So it's going well. It's going well. Um, the other thing that we're really looking at pushing is software engineers building software using low-code methodologies. So tools like Airtable, like Retool, being able to build software with a data-first mindset Mm -hmm. without actually writing a line of code or writing very few lines of code allows us to provide value to our internal customers in kind of seconds to minutes rather than hours, days, weeks. Mm. Engineers can drag and drop in a lot of cases Mm. so that their, their kind of mind is free to focus on the deep, intricate bits that they do have to work on that the low-code tools can't provide. Mm. And all of that together is kind of the, the package of reducing cognitive load for the team. Yeah, no, brilliant. It's super interesting as well. I think as well, just touching on sort of nurturing the pre-existing skills that the engineers have coming into the business and yeah, not exactly. getting them to learn completely different things. Exactly. exactly. Nice topic of work. Like, there are kind of limits to that. You know, it's not a free-for-all world where you can choose any language you want and just start building things like we're quite careful about who we bring into the business yeah our interview process 
doesn't include lead code exercises, it doesn't include algorithmic tests, but it does include very pragmatic whiteboarding exercises, it does include long conversations with, with lead engineers. So we're very careful about the type of engineer we bring in. Mm -hmm. Once they're in, we're confident that they are the right engineers and they then have freedom to go choose the language and the framework and the methodology they want to use because we're pretty confident they're going to make the right choices for us. Perfect, perfect. Um, so just on the topic of, of writing code, yeah. Aaron, for listeners potentially starting out in their career, do you have any advice or tips for maybe budding software developers that are looking to write good software? Yeah, sure. So you have to practice and there's no shortcut to avoid that. But I've found that certainly when I was learning, the best way to practice was to try and solve my own problems. And I think that's still true today, right? So simple things like trying to write something that, that reminds you when your car insurance is about to expire or when your MOT is about to expire, or it could be um, you know, organizing your friend's calendars when, when you're trying to meet up, or even trying to solve some problems at work in a non-technical role using code. Increase efficiency of some of the, the tasks that you've got to do. And then once that's starting to flow, once that's starting to come together, start looking to niche down. What, what did you enjoy in that? Did you enjoy building the UI? Did you enjoy building the, the back end? Did you enjoy you know, managing the, the, the database architecture as you were building those things? Spend some time focusing on the bit you really enjoy because it's not always gonna be fun. Again, you might run into a bug at 3 a.m. when you've been up, you know, you've worked, you've worked a 20 hour day and, uh, and you just want to get something done yeah. and your code is still throwing errors. And like, it's not fun then. Mm -hmm. It's fun afterwards. It's type two fun. You know, type one fun is like when you're really enjoying doing <laughs> this thing. Yeah. Type two fun is like you don't enjoy doing it, but afterwards it was really fun. Writing code can be both of those, mm -hmm. but at some point it will be type two. So make sure you're working on something and you've niched down into some part of it that you really enjoy. Perfect. I think that's brilliant advice, Aaron. So, Aaron, just touching on Vorbos, you probably get this question quite a lot. What kind of software does a fiber internet company use? Yeah, we do get asked that question a lot. <laughs> um, so as a vertically integrated business, i.e. one that owns its supply chain, we have a preference to build rather than buy. And that carries across the entirety of the business from the network that we've built and the network that we are continuing to build. You know, we've put over 500 kilometers of fiber in the ground in zones one and two of London in the last two years. That speed in which we've been able to do that is partly because all of our installation technicians are permanent employees. We've taught them fiber. Not all of them are from industry. In fact, most of them are not from industry. We taught them what fiber is. We taught them um, what it means to go install it with a world-class kind of training organization that we've built inside of the business. And that allows us to, to operate significantly more efficiently than a lot of our competitors. That mentality carries over into our software engineering function. We have a preference to build rather than buy almost all of our tooling and systems. We don't have a HR system off the shelf. We don't have kind of systems for tracking the jobs that our installation technicians are on off of the shelf. We build it all ourselves. Mm. And we've built it all of ourselves partly because it allows us to kind of answer very complex questions about the relationship of seemingly unrelated teams and data in kind of seconds to minutes, rather than kind of trying to chain these external tools together and having to build kind of um, middleware applications to do that, which can take days, weeks, months. We can answer these questions in kind of seconds to minutes. So just out of interest, Aaron, you say sort of ownership of the whole supply chain. 
Is that quite a rare thing within the industry of having everything built in-house, even from the sort of HR systems like you mentioned? It is rare at the moment. There is a growing movement for companies to start bringing things in-house. Um, there's a growing movement for pulling workloads from cloud providers back into the kind of own data centers and, and back onto on-prem. It's not really what we're doing here, but like there is a general kind of movement for pulling things back into, into businesses. I think it kind of comes from a growing apathy towards some SaaS providers, since the SaaS providers are optimized for selling SaaS services. They're not necessarily optimized for providing customer value. The best ones are, but there are lots of ones kind of in there that really are optimized for getting the sale of themselves. And so I think we're ahead of the curve on it, certainly in this industry, but it is a growing movement. So on the topic of like modern tech trends, Aaron, how do you stay close to them? Is there sort of resources you look to, speaking in sort of net, like your network? How do you keep on top of those modern technologies? It's all of them, right? Like all of those things. I have to, I go to a lot of talks. I, um, I, I mean, a lot of kind of uh, tech communities uh, online, love reading Hacker News and the Register and similar, and then hackathons as well, right? Like working with each other and in, in, in like less work-related environments to build cool things. Cool. So, Aaron, can you give our listeners a sneak peek into the tech stack that you use at Vorboss? Yeah, sure. So we are um, working in a cloud-native environment. So um, we're in both public cloud providers and we have some workloads on our own private cloud as well. Everything's containerized. We deploy to Kubernetes. Uh, No big shock there, I'm sure. (laughs) In terms of application frameworks and languages, uh, it's... A mix between TypeScript and Python, I would say, on the back end, and React's our framework of choice on the front. Nice. And out of interest, if you were starting software development from scratch again, mm-hmm. which programming language would you ideally want to start with? My standard answer for this used to be Python, but it's changed over the last few years. Not because Python is hard to learn or because uh, anything has changed on that side, but more because if you look at low-code tools that are popping up, Airtable is a perfect example of this. You can drag and drop things in there and think about data and and prototypes of little applications, and then when you're ready to start writing code, it's JavaScript. Mm. And the cool thing with uh, learning JavaScript early, and there are trade-offs for it, but the cool thing with starting with JavaScript these days is that you can move data around, start thinking about data as a software engineer without having to go too deep down the stack. The trade-offs are when you then move into another language, say if you then go lower level and move into something like C or or Go, there's a lot more to kind of learn that that JavaScript kind of gave you a bit of a a crutch on. That's fine though, right? Because ultimately the goal of most software engineers is and should be to solve problems. And whether you're writing code to solve those problems or you're punching in a carefully crafted prompt to chat GPT and then are able to kind of debug afterwards, Mm. it doesn't really matter. And eventually we're going to be in a world where learning a particular language is irrelevant and really you just need to be kind of fluent in the concept of data. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a more of a mentality than the tools that you're using. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. and it's moving that way now and, and it, it's going to increase over the next kind of five, 10 years, I'm sure. Yeah, that was, that was a brilliant answer. So Aaron, from a culture perspective, what makes Vorboss's, you know, internal company culture different to other companies? I've been through quite a few startups now that went from five, 10 employees up to several hundred. 
I've never been in one where I've joined at something like 17, 16, yeah. now at 400, and it still feels like a small company. It still feels like that startup. The way that we communicate with each other, the way that we get things done, the way that we, the way that we just work together and act together is one of a small company. And it's, it's fantastic. No, no, it sounds, it sounds brilliant. And maybe a difficult question for this moment, but what would you say your proudest moment has been so far whilst working at Vorbos? I don't have any one proudest moment, but the first hires I made when I formed the systems engineering team were people out of a general assembly course, people that went through a career change and wanted to become software engineers and went through an intensive course and then kind of put everything into that. And that was a bit of a risk, right? Like it's a bit of a risk to hire people with, with less experience as the first ones into a team because yeah. the first people in the team kind of dictate the culture. My theory was that they would be hungry, they would be ready, and they would want to put the hours in and the, and the time in to kind of hone their skill. And I have continued to be proud of them, every one of them, every day since they joined us over two years ago now. Some of them are entirely leading projects and they have two and a half years of production experience. I'm just super proud of them. That's very, very wholesome as well, Aaron. <laughs> In regards to the course, I'm just interested, the course that they did, obviously it's very intense, but what does that normally entail? It's a three-month full-time course run by General Assembly that puts them through the paces of learning JavaScript and React. Um, so it starts them off in, in kind of that world, which was perfect for us because we are using Airtable to build low-code prototypes, mm. which meant that they were able to go build prototypes and then start cutting their teeth on, on writing some code when they were ready. Yeah, perfect. Sounds, sounds brilliant. And from a recruitment standpoint, Aaron, what types of roles are currently on offer at Vorbos and how would they sort of help and impact your own team? So we're now at 30 software engineers and we're just looking for the last few kind of pieces of the puzzle to get the team into the into the perfect place and these people would be super experienced um, we're looking for a lead software engineer in terms of data we're looking for a lead software engineer in terms of uh, infrastructure and a few senior roles in those same positions as well perfect and just from a, a soft skill perspective Aaron obviously you've covered a lot of the tech what would you look for from yeah soft skill perspective for people in your team every software engineer on the team needs to be comfortable working with stakeholders non-technical stakeholders. So we do have a product management function and a project management function, but we still want engineers to be able to go and sit next to their stakeholder, their internal stakeholder, and just like work together, come up with prototypes together, turn those prototypes into kind of high code, real applications together, and just not be the type of engineer that wants to pick a ticket off of a JIRA backlog, implement it, open up a merge request, and then call it a day. Mm -hmm. So those communication piece to non-technical stakeholders is crucial. Super important. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I think that's all the time that we have for today, Aaron. I just want to say a big thank you, and we appreciate you inviting us into your office at Vorbos and uh, giving us insight into you know your career and projects you're working on and what it's like to work at Vorbos. Seems like a very exciting time for you guys. Yeah, so Aaron, is there anything you'd like to sort of plug or mention before we wrap up for today? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, as a business, we're offering 10 gigabit minimum next generation B2B fiber connectivity in London. 
And I'm super proud of it, right? We're offering this at £650 per month, 12-month contract, and then rolling afterwards, no install fees. So if your contract's coming up to an end in terms of your connectivity, if you're having problems with your connectivity partner, please get in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much, Aaron. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify and Apple Music. Leave a rating and a review and make sure you're also following us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at HackerJobHQ. Feel free to share whatever you're listening to on Instagram and tag us so we can reshare it. I'll see you guys in the next episode.